When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. Just like your family treats you, find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Yeah, you know, winning is all that matters. And uh, I actually, you know, feel looking back, I've played very well in prime time. I've played good football. And if, if let's say, J-Ron doesn't intercept that and they come down with it, am I going to suddenly say, oh, my gosh, I, I'm terrible in prime time? No, I'm going to look at the production, watch the film, and grade it the same way I would if, if we win or lose. So I, I look at it as, you know, how am I contributing? How am I playing? And I, I think I've, I've played well in prime time. Have we won them all? No. But to get this one was, was a great, you know, step in the right direction. Kirk Cousins there trying to blow up the narrative that probably never should have existed about him not being good in prime time. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels, it is Purple Daily. All right, Sage, you wake up this morning after a really good football game. What was on your mind? What was the first thing on your mind about that Vikings 28-24 win over the Dallas Cowboys? Well, you know, I think there's so many good positive things to take out of this game, but there's also the fact that, you know, they could have easily lost this game. I mean, this was a down-to-the-wire close ball game, and, you know, as as you and I and, uh, you know, as we like to, of course, all media people, as we analyze these football games and these players, uh, sometimes, you know, the win and, and the losing, you have to, you know, take everything into consideration. So if they would have lost that game yesterday, do we all of a sudden say that, you know, Kirk Cousins stinks? No, he played the way he played whether they won or lost. Uh, same with the offensive line, same with everybody on that football team. So uh, as a team, Team, they played really, really good football, and Kirk played well. I, I can't say watching that game, Kirk played great. He didn't have to play great. He managed the heck out of that game. He was Alex Smith, you know, is, is what Alex Smith has done forever. He didn't make great plays. He made a couple good plays. But for the most part, he really managed that game, and the rest of the team played really well. Of course, not the pass defense, but the offensive line, the running game, the tight ends blocking. That was – we have – I have not seen – I have not seen a 10-play all-run drive in a long time in particular at the end of a football game when it's crunch time you know i've seen some of those and you know four minute drills against a team that's may not very good but you know against that dallas defense with that uh, uh that d line 
I have not seen that before. So that was just unbelievable the way the Vikings offensive line and defensive line uh, really won the trenches last night. Yeah, there's a few things that I started thinking about uh, late last night as we were going through the podcast and just the bigger picture takeaways. And one of them was that Kevin Stefanski used Delvin Cook to every ounce of his abilities to win that game, whether it was pounding over them for the a, a 10-play drive of mostly Delvin Cook and a little bit of Alexander Madison in the end, and, and then you know throwing in the screen passes too. It, it was one of the solutions that the Vikings had for Kansas City when Kansas City was taking away the deep stuff was like, well, okay, if you're going to run your safeties that far down the field, then they won't be here to tackle Delvin Cook. And using those screen passes right off the bat, I thought made life very, very difficult on Dallas. And Sage, I gave Kevin Stefanski an A-plus for last night. I don't think he could have done anything better than he did. Getting Kirk Cousins going early with a couple of quick passes, a couple of short throws to Delvin with easy 20 or 30-yard gains, and, and building up his confidence early in that game, and then pounding away when he felt like he had that opportunity to do so. I mean, this is what has made Kevin Stefanski a name that's going to be brought up for head coaching positions, and it's the reason why they made a mistake hiring John DeFilippo last year and should have hired Kevin Stefanski. I mean, that last night looked a lot like Pat Shermer's work in 2017. What Kevin Stefanski did last night was absolutely phenomenal, and he took play calling and play designing to another level. And as we watch the game, we just say, yeah, the Vikings offensive line really pounded them. But if you really go back and you watch what type of runs they were running, the ones they were having success on, there was a lot of outside tosses, outside stretch plays. Uh, Dallas was uh, really packed in there tight. Their defensive ends weren't wide. Uh, they were tight in there, what they call a six-eye technique a lot of times. A lot of times three linebackers sort of snugged right in the middle of the the, the, the defensive formation. So they decided we're going to run wide on these guys. And, and there, you saw all those tosses going outside. And a lot of times there will be an unblocked player, but Dalvin Cook with his speed would just outrun that pursuit. So that was one thing they did I thought was phenomenal. In the passing game, the screens last night, You know, he, uh, Dalvin Cook, I believe, caught maybe five, six, seven screens last night. Interesting stat I was looking at this morning. He had seven catches on seven targets, Dalvin Cook. He had 86 yards receiving. His yards after catch, do you know what that number is? It's probably more than the number of yards he got. Yeah, 109. Yeah, yep. 109 yards after catch on 86 yards. That means he's catching basically every pass behind the line of scrimmage. Okay, so uh, that against maybe the best D-line as far as pass rushing D-line um, uh, in the NFL, one of them. You know, that is a that's a brilliant move uh, by Kevin Stefanski to run to the outside. Great move. And then when they actually did straight drop back, uh, he was getting the ball out pretty quickly. Uh, you know, Kirk was not going to hold on to that football last night and, and wait for things to develop down the field. You saw that in the red zone uh, at one point in the game. They had a chance to... You know, are they going to, uh, was they into the first half? Maybe are, are they going to try to, you know, take a shot into the end zone? You know, let's not worry about it. Let's just get that completion. Let's get it up there to the five or six yard line. Let's kick that field goal and go into halftime. So yeah, fantastic job by, by Kevin Stefanski with the game plan and with Ali, the, 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 the play calls during the game. And then nice job by the, the entire, uh, Vikings offense and, and, and Kirk Cousins. Nice job executing that game plan. And again, the offensive line, the running backs, the tight ends, uh, our, our, our guy Ham, uh, we, we sort of Featured the fullback. Featured the fullback. 
we tried to give him the ball, didn't work out, uh, but they did feature him as far as he, he was in the game uh, for a lot of snaps last night, and, and I'm sure he woke up uh, a little uh, happy sore this morning. So here's a crazy stat for you that we would not have expected at any point in the Mike Zimmer era, but the Vikings are one of the best um, overall offenses in the NFL. And, and when Zimmer would always talk about, oh, we want to run the ball and we want to play defense, and that's how Mike Zimmer wins at football, well, I, I'm, I'm sure he's not sad to have his team ranked fourth in expected points added in the NFL waking up today. Dallas, Baltimore, Kansas City are the only teams better than the Vikings, right behind them, Houston, Green Bay, and Seattle. So that's can the you, company you that you're in. Any- can you describe what's expected points added? What exactly is that stat? Expected points added compares the situation you're in to how you perform. So if you have a first down and 10 at their 25-yard line, you're expected to score X number of points. And if you get yourself closer than expected, if you perform better than expected, then you, it goes up. And if you perform worse than expected, it goes down. And if you score a touchdown, that's seven expected points because you scored a touchdown. Or You, you see what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. So it, it sort of tells you, I think it's a good measure of everything thrown into the pot. Kind of when you look at yards, those can be deceiving. If you're down 20 points and you get a bunch of yards, who cares, right? And if you uh, maybe have, you know, turnovers are, will play into this and things like that. So it's, it's a little bit everything goes into the pot. But I like it because it compares situation to performance. And that's what matters the most. If you're at the one yard line, you gain one yard. Well, for your running back, that's one yard per carry. Well, that's not very good, right? One yard per carry, um, yeah. but you got a touchdown. That so that's good. And the expected points added would give you credit for the touchdown and not worry too much that it only took one yard. Does that make sense? Well, there you go. Yeah, I mean Kyle Rudolph last night with four catches, fourteen yards. <laughs> right. Like, you know that's not very good. Right, but he you had know, a big hey, game. Right. Yeah, big game. You know, two big touchdowns, and and that's where Rudy, uh, in some ways, is so viable in the passing game. Are, are those red zone threats? I mean, he's just such a big guy. He's like a power forward in the NBA, and, and there's not many uh, you know DBs or linebackers that can, if you throw the ball up high enough and give him a chance, he comes down with it almost every single time. So, you know, great game by him last night. But you think, hey, 14 yards receiving, that's not so fantastic. So, uh, yeah, he, uh, he did a nice job. Uh, you know, the, really the entire offense, the, the, the running game. And, and the, when Madison came in there, too, uh, the way he ran the football, these guys finish runs. I mean, they do not go down easily. They really, really do a great job of finishing runs and getting every single ounce uh, out of it. And, and again, you know, the offensive line, what they were doing, they were slicing guys down. Uh, I, I think you retweeted this morning. Dan Orlovsky uh, had a really nice tweet, sort of the difference between the Dallas uh, uh, running game and, and the Vikings running game uh, and how they one was successful and one wasn't. And that has to do with getting guys on the ground. And I'm sure Vikings fans and NFL fans have heard for years that, you know, this style of offense, there's always this backside, you know, cut blocking and whether that's good or whether that's bad because occasionally a D lineman or a linebacker will, you know, get hurt or tear an ACL on some of these cut blocks. But, you know, you, you, you win games on the front side, but you win championships on the backside. Uh, I believe is what uh, Dan said, because that's an old Gary Kubiak uh, quote. And you you block those guys on the front side, but if you can get those guys on the ground on the back side, they're no longer sort of pursuing down the line to make that tackle for three- and four-yard gains. Now they're down. Now the holes just immediately open up. They're out of their gap. uh, And that's where we saw some of those big runs by both uh, Cook and Madison last night. Well, And to put some numbers on for how much it's been worth for the Vikings to run as successfully as they have, Last year, in terms of the expected points added, the Vikings were 
29th, and they lost 38 more points than they were expected to have on a given situation by just being really terrible at running. Uh, this year, they've been much, much better in that. So there's been a huge difference. There's been basically a 40-something point swing, even so far, just based on them being way better at running the football. And the reason why I was telling you the expected points is that last year, if you look at the top four offenses in expected points, what you'll find is that they all went to the championship games. And if you go back to 2017, the top two teams in expected points on offense went to the Super Bowl, the Philadelphia Eagles and the New England Patriots. So I want to ask you, Sage, after what you've seen so far this year and then especially last night in a big game, do you think that this offense can be a NFC championship or beyond caliber offense? Well, if they execute like that, and, and in particular if they get Adam Thielen back, that really would help them out. Uh, they, you know, he's such a good player to, to not have one of the best players in your football team not out there uh, doesn't help you. But they were a highly uh, efficient executing team last night. They weren't trying to take shots down the field and and uh, and, and try to create big plays. It was sort of a grinded out. Uh, uh, you know, try to complete balls on third down, high completion percentage. Um, they weren't taking shots. They were controlling the clock and, and keeping their defense off the field, which, as we all know, in the passing game was a real problem uh, But with the secondary. And we'll get to that, I'm sure, uh, later on in the show. But I thought they were highly efficient last night. You don't turn the ball over. You run the football. Uh, your quarterback has no turnovers, and, and you get sacked one time. Uh, to me, that's a, a, it's all about efficiency for me. Uh, whatever you know, the stats are, and this, that, and the other. You know, were we an efficient offense and, and sort of maximize the plays that we had? And and uh, they did a really, really nice job of that. So, if we're going to the model of talking about overreactions or not overreactions, how big was this? for Cousins to win the primetime game. Not because I think he can't play in primetime, but just to quiet that whole thing around him. Because even he comes off the field last night, I just I didn't really love this question. Comes off the field, and the sideline reporter, first question is, oh, you won in primetime, eh, buddy? It's like, okay, that's definitely not the first thing to talk about here with what just happened, but all right. And if you do any research at all, he's had plenty of... Good games in primetime. His career uh, rating in primetime is like 100. He's been the same quarterback he usually is, and it should never have been as huge of a narrative as it was. But to have that now disappear when they have several other primetime games coming up, I think is a good thing for Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I think it's absolutely a good thing. Now, he is not, there is a consistent thing that he has not won games uh, whether maybe prime time or or just those key football regular season football games, he has not won those a lot. We've sort of gone over those stats. You know, when they're losing going into the fourth quarter, he was like oh ten and one. You know, going into uh, uh, as a time as a Viking quarterback going into the to last night's game. So there is a history there of him not playing great at crunch time in the big ball games. All right. So, but to me, it's really more about winning and not necessarily, you know, what are his stats? And, and he has not won a ton of those football games. And, and so that was a huge win last night. I mean, you, we, it's, uh, we, we like to talk about cousins and everyone likes to talk about cousins and the quarterback, but as a team in general, to win a really tight game last night when the, this team has won a lot of games because of their defense and they won last night, in my opinion, uh, because of their rush defense, but really because of their offense and every aspect of their offense, running the football, the way they're efficient in the passing game. Uh, and uh, and the way they scored, you know, when it mattered, and that, and that drive in the fourth quarter, again to, to to run the ball ten times in a row, absolutely incredible. So hats off.
guys. Uh, you know, however the offensive line played and, and pass protection, I give go- those guys an A plus. If they play like that the rest of the season, uh, you know, the, it should be it would be very very interesting to see how the Viking how far the Vikings can get down the stretch. Okay, tell me if it's an overreaction to say Delvin Cook is the MVP of the NFL right now. I put him right up there. I think he's been phenomenal. I mean, this is a football team that's seven and three, and he really carries the load of the offense. Not just ran the football, but as we saw last night, that screen game, and, and we saw it also in Kansas City in the loss. I mean, the screens have been absolutely huge. It really helps out the offensive line. Yeah, Dalvin Cook has been absolutely phenomenal, and, and he should be in that conversation. It, it's hard to go against Lamar Jackson. You know, some of the things yeah, that I've I agree. seen, saw some of the highlights. Uh, you know, and, and, and also just such a feel good story that here's a guy that some people called him a wide receiver or shoot, maybe you should play, you know, uh, uh, defense and be a kick returner because he's such a good athlete and he wasn't a great thrower of the football. The things he has done for that football team and, and possibly even sort of changed the way we think of quarterbacks. You know, we, we there's this history of thinking of the quarterback and you have to be this thrower. Uh, and, uh, but you know, in college or high school, a lot of times the quarterback is just the best athlete or one of the better athletes on the team, in particular high school. So a lot of times he's a runner who can throw a little bit, right? And 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 this guy, can he throws the ball pretty well, but his ability to run has just completely changed the complexion of that football team. It helps out their defense, helps out the offensive line. They are designing all these plays. They have the perfect coordinator, who is Colin Kaepernick's coordinator back in those 49er days, who understands uh, some of that. Running quarterback type stuff. I right now I would have to say Lamar Jackson, but I put Dalvin Cook in that top three. He has been uh, a, a absolutely phenomenal player for this Vikings offense. And if Russell Wilson wins tonight and beats San Francisco, then he's certainly in that ballpark as well. I think it takes a different standard for a running back to win MVP, considering how much it is a dominated league by quarterbacks. But here's a crazy stat for you, Sage. Uh, during Adrian Peterson's prime, 2007 to 2013, his best years, he averaged per season 1,687 yards per year from scrimmage. Okay, so that's running and passing. Almost 1,700 yards. Right now, through 10 games, Delvin Cook has 1,400. So, it, I mean, he's on pace to go over 2,000 yards from scrimmage by himself. And Adrian Peterson only averaged around 1,700 yards by himself, which I, I think really tells you the true value of what Delvin Cook brings. And he can pass block if you want him to. He's got 40 receptions. He's averaging 11 yards per catch, which is crazy. I mean, that's wide receiver numbers. I mean, what what he has done this year out of the backfield, you just cannot overstate it that he is untackleable when he has the football, and just having him alone gives them a chance to win any game. Well, you just so rarely see, and we did see it with Adrian uh, in the running game. You saw this guy who had crazy strength, but then he had the ability to outrun uh, the pursuit and, and break the 60, 70, 80 yarders. Adrian had that ability. Uh, when, when the Vikings drafted Cook, I did not realize how powerful he was. I did not realize uh, how great a balance that he had. Uh, I, I knew he was fast. I saw some huge runs and plays at Florida State, but I did not realize the way he finishes runs sort of like Adrian. And I, I believe it was about four weeks into the season on this show, I and I, I believe on Twitter I said something. You know, He's on pace for something around a 2,000-yard season uh, in, in, or maybe even more uh, as far as running the football and catching the football. And, you know, to have one player with that much production, uh, you know, if he becomes a, 
if he needs, you know, if he stays healthy this year, and, and you know, we, we will see what that number is going to be, uh, you know, coming up as far as what he's going to want for a contract. Uh, you know, of course, that's that's uh, getting ahead of the game here, but you know, I if you take all the running backs in the NFL. I want Dalvin Cook. You know, I, the McCaffrey kid's amazing. He's a he's a similar player over in Carolina. Uh, what, what he is doing as far as overall production and how much that team relies on him, and in particular with Adam Thielen out, man, Dalvin Cook, uh, absolutely the MVP of this team, and, uh, and and should be in the hunt for MVP of the NFL. And it, it's hard to do as a running back unless you run for something like two thousand yards. But you know, not all of his production is just running the football. A lot of it is the way he's catching the football, and it seems like he's getting you know sixty, seventy yards a game through the air. So continuing to look up stats to throw at you as you break it down, Marshall Falk for his entire time in St. Louis, remember how great he was, he averaged 5.8 yards per touch for his time in St. Louis and was an MVP caliber player, led the league in yards per scrimmage twice. That's the same amount as Delvin Cook right now. So he's basically playing like St. Louis Rams version of Marshall Falk at this moment for the Minnesota Vikings, which is truly mind-blowing how good he has been. And when we talk about Sage, all the time you hear people say, like, oh, running backs are replaceable and things like that. And I think when it comes to paying them, that's always risky. And when it comes to drafting them high, that's risky too because a lot of players could have given you what Leonard Fournette has given the Jaguars so far this year. Um, or, or in his career. And a lot of running backs have outperformed Trent Richardson, who is a big bust and, and a high draft pick. So it's always really risky to take that position, especially when Delvin's a second rounder, uh, Elvin Kamara's a third rounder, things like that, that usually you can find them. But there's a, a huge amount of value just in that position when you have the number one, number two, number three guy in the NFL, what they're bringing to you. And this, to me, is the biggest difference between last year and this year in terms of this team maximizing their full potential is you have a running back last year who was good at times but also hurt at times and it was very hard to get in, in a rhythm with him. And now he's bringing you huge, huge value over however you would replace that. I, I think that's the biggest gap. Yeah, and, and uh, I tell you what, the way he has gotten sort of better as the season has gone gone on, and and stayed out of the injury issues that he's had in the past, and you know, hats off to Rick Dennison. We haven't brought up his name yet, the offensive line coach who you know, and run zones, game coordinator Sage and run game coordinator. The, yeah, so he is probably the guy more than Stefanski. I mean, this is the way it goes a lot of times. If if people don't know, the offensive coordinator usually more in charge of the passing game, usually more in charge of the you know should we run, should we pass, but when it's a run. He usually you know, goes to the offensive line coach or the run game coordinator in this correct Dennison and say, okay, which runs do you like? You know, which, which, what do you want to go with on this next one? And it might be the toss sweep or the crack toss or the inside zone or I'd like a, you know, maybe reverse to keep that off, that backside defensive end at home or you know whatever it might be so you know Stefanski was calling the plays last night but a lot of those run plays were Rick Dennison uh you know making making the call of what type of run plays uh you know to run and then obviously it's Stefanski who's the one who sort of picks the one figures out what formation it is and and calls it in so uh this type of offense sometimes and I, I saw it when I was in Houston playing in it they got better as the season went on. I think the the offensive line, I think the running backs, uh, everyone involved, the tight ends, they start to get a feel for how you know it has success. And there was times I always remember that 
the, the lineman would know where the running back is supposed to go, like after play. Like, hey, you should have gone outside of me here. I had him, you know, fully reached. And if the running back cut it up inside, you know, because the lineman knew because it's it's so detailed and it's so orchestrated, uh, you know, with the good coaching by Rick Dennison that I think now as the season is progressing. Dalvin Cook is 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 and and, and Alexander Madison uh, are starting to get a feel for you know how these guys are blocking and, and how they're coached and and where those holes are and, and last night the the holes are out wide they were they were trying to stretch the defense trying to get around them Dallas had a lot of guys in the middle of the box and and the the Vikings decided to to run wide and, and they were having a ton of success last evening I think that really helps to have C J Ham be a former running back that he can actually get out there if they need him to he's not just this big ball of meat. Uh, back there. Now, Sage, continuing the last one that I wrote down for potential overreactions, I want to say that uh, Dak Prescott is not just a good quarterback. Dak Prescott is a great quarterback, and if they don't pay him, they will regret that for absolutely ever. I think he, I, I agree. I don't think that's an overreaction. I think he's really, really good. Now, if you again, if you go back and watch that game, and, and you probably noticed that during the game, he had a lot of time back there. And Kirk did not have a lot of time back there when he was. You could tell Kirk is sort of a hot potato. He wanted to get that ball out of his hands, and and even when he was getting out quick, sometimes he was getting pressure. Uh, Dak Prescott was had plenty of time to throw back there. He has a really really uh, good receiving core. Amari Cooper is a is a phenomenal receiver, and uh, and got some other guys too that are really good and that can really fly. And and uh, I thought he was not only good when the pocket was clean, but when he had. Uh, uh, you know, pressure and the Vikings were they were rushing hard last night. Everson and Daniil and the guys on the inside, they were get, they were getting to him a little bit. Uh, but he was buying time and making things happen and throwing balls on the run and being a creator. And that's what you want. I mean, he was doing some of that Russell Wilson, uh, you know, create something out of nothing last night, and he was very accurate. He rarely missed a throw last night, and and uh, and he did you know basically all he could do to win that football game. And when the the the, uh, the the money was on the table, when the chips were on the table, and it was it was on the line, uh, and they had two two chances to to get a first down there at the end, they ran the football and they were unsuccessful against this Vikings defensive line. You know, uh, Zeke Elliott was pretty unsuccessful most of the night, and uh, and that's I'm thinking if Jason Garrett has some uh, regrets of last night's game, it's to say, hey, we got a hot quarterback going on right now. Uh, let's put the game in Dak's hands, not. Zeke Zeke's hands and and they, they they decided to go with a couple of runs and they were stuffed. So uh, having over again, I Dak Prescott did everything he could have done last night to win that football game. He he was really phenomenal and uh, I believe this Dallas offense leads the league uh, in total offense. And of course, uh, you know he's a guy you know, not not a high draft pick, mid round guy, and uh, and has has really had a nice uh, you know NFL career so far. So I thought you know he was he was really really good last night and is probably going to get. 35 plus a year is, is probably what I'm thinking that number is going to be. I don't know if it's going to get up to 40, but he is going to have a huge number that he is going to request, and I think they should pay him. I, I think he's a very, very good football player, and his style is conducive to winning. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't throw a lot of interceptions. He doesn't get sacked a lot. He can also help you. Uh, he doesn't run a ton, but a lot of times in the red zone, inside the 10-yard line, they do run him a lot on some zone read type stuff, and he can be another asset, and he's not just a thrower. So, yeah, I, I thought he was really, really good last night. All right, when we come back, Sage, two things to talk about. One, is there any solution to the issues at cornerback? And number two, the refs, they were at it again last night. We'll be right back. 
Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels. You listen to Purple Daily on Score North. North Memorial Health has over 400 care providers. That's right, more than 400 care providers and more than 6,000 team members that are dedicated to keeping you healthy. North Memorial Health is proud to partner with the Minnesota Vikings as they work to make Minnesota the healthiest in the league. They're more than a team at North Memorial Health. They're your family. At North Memorial Health, customers are treated like family. Your health family is more than a tagline. It's a commitment to delivering unmatched customer service. That means a big smile when you walk in the door. That means making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It means asking, what else can we do for you? North Memorial Health will treat you like family in a good way. The people at North Memorial Health will team up with you to help you achieve your best health. So step up your health care game today and find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. Once again, that's northmemorial.com slash family. Jonathan here with the Score North download. You can listen to Score North with Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, open Score North, and you'll hear the soothing sounds of Purple Daily, Mackie and Judd with Rami, and much, much more. Again, just say, Alexa, open Score North in their 28-24 to win over the Dallas Cowboys last night. The Vikings held one of the leading rushers in the league, Ezekiel Elliott, to just 47 yards rushing. And Mike Zimmer was asked about that in his post-game press conference on how they stopped Zeke. Here's what he said. Yeah, well, we had to do that. We had to make him be one-dimensional. I wish we'd have played better in pass defense than what we did, but we had to do that. And I thought our guys really played. You know, they're a good running football team. And uh, I forgot my glasses on my head. They're a good running football team, and I thought we did a really nice job in our run fits and the way that we uh, tackled. That's been your score on our download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels here deciding whether we're overreacting to things from yesterday's win over the Dallas Cowboys. And Sage, I'm going to go ahead and say that it is not an overreaction to be very concerned about the pass defense. I know it was not the starter, Trey Waynes, but very clearly that was the plan for the Dallas Cowboys to target Mike Hughes over and over and over again. The final number, 17 times Mike Hughes was thrown at in one game, and the Vikings in pass defense and expected points added today, 20th is where they rank waking up. They have the same pass defense basically as the Seahawks, who have largely been shredded all year long. Uh, is there a fix to this? Because I, I don't think that's an overreaction, but what's the fix? Well, you know, when you you decide you're going to stop the run, that usually means that you're going to put more guys in the box, an extra guy in the box or something, which means you're going to have these one-on-ones on the outside. And, uh, you know, in the Mike Zimmer style of defense, it's, you know, he drafts corners high. We have three first-rounders out there, and their job is to be sort of shut down guys. And uh, it's really the key to the defense. And you, you find your great players uh, different spots of the draft, but it's reliant uh, on the fact that you can play all that man-to-man coverage on the outside and uh yeah mike I, I don't know if i've seen that number before 17 targets on one guy you know in the ball game they, you know dak prescott was consistently going to his right and uh, yeah so it's an issue because it's also an issue that you know xavier rhodes 
has been a guy that's been picked on also a lot this year. You know, he was sort of the, it seemed like to me, uh, you know, teams are targeting him. Uh, and J- Trey Waynes has not played great football. Of course, he didn't play last night, but he hasn't played phenomenal yet this year. So you have three first round quarters, a lot, uh, corners, a lot of resources, you know, put into that position. And it's, it was the weakness of that football game last night. But I do love how Zimmer said, you sort of have to do one or the other. We want it then. And I, I, I do believe it's better to take away the runs rather than you know allow a team just to eat you up on the ground and control the clock and you know really uh, 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 you know sort of control the football game. They decided to stop the run last night, putting extra guys in the box, and uh, but that led them six, you know led them uh, uh, to be susceptible in the passing game, and in particular with an offensive line that was giving Dak Prescott plenty of time to uh, to take a, to, to uh, take apart those cornerbacks. Yeah, and I and I get that that they did not want Ezekiel Elliott to run all over them, but you gave up. 400 yards passing and should have lost the game. I mean, you really should have lost the game. Uh, They have first down and goal at the six. They don't get it in. And then Jason Garrett, stunningly to me, decides to kick a field goal to go down by four against the team that's moving the ball all day against them, which I did not understand at all. And then on the final drive, he's cruising down and they decide to run twice, which baffled me as well, Um, especially since the Vikings were stopping Ezekiel Elliott all day long. You really, really reasonably could have given up way more points in that game to the Dallas Cowboys by leaving a lot of man-to-man coverage with Mike Hughes and letting him get smoked by Amari Cooper. I I was really surprised um, that they did run at the end of the game because of that and and then throw at Ezekiel Elliott and and against Eric Hendricks, which is a really bad idea, the way Hendricks has been playing this year when Amari Cooper was absolutely tearing apart Mike Hughes. I, I think there does have to be some sort of adjustment because as you go forward, here, you're going to face a lot of really good quarterbacks. You've got Russell Wilson coming up. You've got Aaron Rodgers. You've got Phillip Rivers. You've got Matt Stafford. I mean, this is not going to be easy as they go down the stretch, and then whoever you play in the playoffs will more likely than not have a good quarterback. And if this is the way your corners are playing, you have to find a way to help these guys out, because if you don't, we're going to get more of this. And then if your offense sputters at all, then you're just eliminated. Well, the question is then, do you, you know, Play more two high safety defenses where the you know the, the the free safeties and the strong safeties are helping out the corners. You can play over the top and they don't have to chase as much and, and they can play a little bit more cover two or even what they call a cover four defense. But the you know the, the corners are, are are not out there completely by themselves. Or you can have droppers you know drop underneath the cornerbacks and the receivers and so all those comebacks uh, that they were hitting last night near the sidelines are then taken away uh, and so the opposing team has to work more of the inside. Of the football field, which is, I think, been a pretty good strength for the Vikings and the way the linebackers have played pretty well in pass coverage. But you know, it wasn't just Mike Hughes, by the way. It, you know, Mackenzie Alexander didn't have a great game either. Uh, there was a third and. I think fairly long last night, and the Vikings played two man, uh, which is uh, in, in that technique in two man, the the re, the uh, the DBs play, the defensive backs play inside and behind basically uh, the wide receivers. They they're basically trying to funnel everything to the outside. So you're expecting, you know, as an offense, you want to you know out breaking routes where they're just straight out routes, uh, you know, from the slot corner routes, you know, from the slot. Those types of things are what a lot of times beat two man. Well, there was a play last night where Randall Cobb got about four four yards of separation on Mackenzie Alexander on one of those corner routes into man. And you have to be expecting those types of plays uh, as a defensive back, and, and you should be undercutting them, and it should be more contested, and it wasn't last night. So it wasn't just Mike Hughes. Mackenzie Alexander didn't play great. You know, I'm not sure if they – 
decide to throw in Holton Hill a little bit. You know, we saw him in, in a little bit of action last night. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen him a lot, obviously, the, the first half of the season. He was out because of his suspension. But I liked the way some of the things that he was doing last year when he was just sort of an extra guy uh, because they had, uh, you know, Xavier and Trey. But he was playing some last year. I thought he played pretty well in the preseason uh, as well. So maybe, you know, they try some uh, different things. Also, maybe they try to blitz more. Maybe they try to blitz uh, just so the, the quarterback, uh, the opposing quarterbacks have to get the ball out of their hands quicker so the, the our, our defensive backs don't have to chase as long, right? So maybe that's part of the equation. I, I'm not really sure. It's a problem. I do love the fact that, again, that, that uh, Mike Zimmer decided, you know, there's we're, we only can, you only can really do one of the – you only can dictate a lot of times one of the two things. Should we allow them to run the football and really protect the pass, or should we stop the run and maybe, uh, you know, ch- try to challenge our corners? And, and obviously the Cowboys uh, were very, very successful last night. Last night, Holton Hill played eight coverage snaps, didn't allow a completion into his coverage on two attempts, but everybody else got shredded – and that might be part of the answer would be to have Holton Hill rotate in more often. Um, we've got Eric Eager for Pro Football Focus coming up at 3. I want to ask him the same question. Like, what what do the numbers say about what the Vikings should do? Stopping the run certainly helped to some extent because you forced Dak Prescott to play great. But what he did was play great and almost beat you. And, the, you know, if it was just Dak Prescott having an amazing game, I think I would say, look, that guy's good. And he was really on his game last night. But Matt Moore beat you, and Chase Daniel be, uh, moved the ball on you, and Matt Stafford put up 30 points on you. And you basically now have to rely on your offense. You have to say, every game you go into against a good quarterback, your defense is going to allow some yards, going to allow some points, and now you've got to hope for great red zone defense and hope that your offense is on its game each and every week because I just don't see an obvious other solution to this stage. Well, and let's just imagine last night if the Vikings offense wasn't doing much, you know, if they weren't running the football well, uh, you know, how many yards and, uh, you know, points that this Vikings defense would have given up. So yeah, it, it's a real problem. And, uh, you know, these coaches aren't blind to it. They, they know it's an issue and they, they're, they're going to be in there trying to do, you know, something different. I don't think they're going to sit there and just be like, well, uh, our guys just have to play better. I think they're going to try to help them play better, uh, whether it's just, you know, teaching different techniques or trying to teach things that they're doing poorly or, or schematically trying to come up with ways that the, you know, they're not out there completely by themselves. But, uh, you know, a good offense a lot of times is, uh, you know, really helps the defense and, you know, the way the Vikings can sort of control the clock and the way they're grinding out yards on the ground. I mean, that was probably our best defense last night was our offensive line. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about the referees here and I don't want to spend too much time on it because like it's exciting where we're at right now with what happened with the Gophers on Saturday and then the Vikings on Sunday. I mean, it's just a, a, a great weekend for football fans here. So I don't want to get anyone too angry and frustrated at, by talking too much about the refs. But once again, this weekend was uh, an incredible display from whether, you know, Aaron Rodgers uh, was roughed by just being tackled or what we saw with Harrison Smith. It was a bad call for pass interference against Harrison Smith, but then later in the drive, he clearly tackles Jason Witten in the end zone and is it's not called. And normally you would say, well, they have 
challenges now for this. This is exactly why we have them, because Harrison Smith just tackled a dude in the end zone. Well, you know, I, I disagree with you a little bit on that. You know, I, I, I actually thought that Witten just sort of like ran into Harrison and ended up being just sort of a, you know, one of those things where people just sort of get their, you know, they, they get tripped and they get their legs crossed or whatever. It, you know, I, you could probably call something on, on, uh, on Harrison Smith on that play, but to me, like, Witten just sort of ran into him, and I hate it when defensive players get called for some sort of penalty because an offensive the guy basically runs into him. The holding penalty was just, I don't even know what to say about that. Like, I know these officials have to, it's, it's very, very hard to officiate these games, but that play is like, what are you even looking at to, to say that? Just because he was right next to him and it was such good coverage, you just have to call penalty because that's just like not possible. And Jason Witten, or it, that, that made. No sense to me. And then, yeah, but everyone goes, well, it was a makeup call. But I don't really believe there are makeup. This is not the NBA. I don't really think there are, like, you know, the, these referees are thinking about, like, well, we should, you know, Harrison got screwed on the last one, so let's do a makeup call here. I don't, I think they just probably just saw two bodies collide and, and didn't really think that was a penalty. So it's, it's, it's a hard sport to referee. Um, and to officiate, but, uh, you know, that, that call last night was, was terrible. I don't, it, it bothers me that they're like, it's like they're trying really hard to find something rather than just sort of call the obvious stuff that you can, you know, very easy see. And, and that Harrison Smith holding call to me, uh, there was nothing obvious about that last night. No, there wasn't. And, uh, I did think it was interference on Harrison later, but you can't even dare to throw the red flag at that point because they're just not overturning them. And Ron Rivera ran into the same thing. And I think after the game, was it Ron Rivera or Mark, Mike Frabel? Uh, one of the coaches went completely bananas about it. Just like, they're not overturning them, so I can't challenge them. There's nothing I can do here. And we've put ourselves in such a goofball position by all agreeing that these are huge penalties that change games and we should be able to review them. But the NFL saying, yeah, but we're not actually going to overturn any of them if you do. So you're just wasting timeouts, and they're really impacting the way the games turn out, not only with just bad calls, which has always happened, and I've always understood about sports that will happen. That didn't ever really bother me that much, that bad calls impact games. It bothers me much more that you say, oh, we've got a solution, but we're not going to use it. But it still exists, so you could try it if you're a dummy. Like, what? Like, just make a statement on this. I just want the NFL to make a statement and say, look, don't challenge these anymore. We screwed it up. We're sorry. The challenging, the ability to challenge a pass interference call is, I, I knew it would be just an absolutely terrible rule because it's, you know, it's something that, uh, unless it's just you know, so blatantly obvious, like that Rams game, uh, uh, the, the Rams, uh, Saints game last year, and it's a sort of a deciding spot in the game. Yeah, you'd like to overturn that one. You know, the, it's just too important. It's a 15 billion dollar industry. You want to make the right call. Uh, the, the issue is now that when, there is obvious pass interference. There was there was obvious pass interference on Amari Cooper last night when he pushed off Mike Hughes in the end zone for that catch. That was yes, obvious yeah, pass interference. That was interference. definitely a push off. No, and, and the fact that we have replay, but there's no way you'd want to replay that or you'd want to challenge that because it's not going to go your way. Like that doesn't make any sense at all. That makes zero sense that you can replay a call and uh, but yet you know you're not going to win even though you're obviously right if you try to challenge it like uh, that rule is not going to last another year uh and uh but you know it's i i also believe that 
the roughing the quarterback calls, the roughing the passer calls, those if they're going to be review, I mean they're going to review things like you know pass interference. I think those things should re- be reviewable, and and maybe I'm just a little bit more old school that back when I was playing, they didn't protect the quarterback nearly as much as they are now. But you know, listen, quarterbacks got to take hits, uh, and there's something about the guys that played for a long, long time in this league. You go back to the Joe Montanas and the Dan Marinos and Jim Kellys and those guys. Those guys were getting massacred in the pocket. Uh, but there was something about you know being 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 able to be tough enough uh, and strong enough and durable enough uh, to survive those hits for 16 games for a 15 year career. Uh, and and I just they're just it's way too sort of ticky tack. Uh, for, you know, for these quarterbacks in the pocket when they're just getting hit after they throw or they're just getting tackled or sacked to call everything a penalty just because that looks like it might hurt. Like, oh, that one hurts, so we should call a penalty. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, again, we all understand that NFL games are way better when starting quarterbacks are playing yes. and that the ratings immediately go down when backups are playing, and in particular when backups are Which playing. Which they've gotten hurt each- anyway, by the way. 16 yeah. backups have played this year. What a great season yeah. for you. And, but, you know, also, sometimes starting quarterbacks like Cam Newton get hurt and the backup comes in and you start to go, hey, I actually think this backup quarterback is better than the starter, yeah, which I, I do I like believe that. In Carolina, I had not seen Kyle Allen play. We're going off schedule here, but I had not seen him play. I was massively impressed in that football game. And, you know, when we talk about the Vikings and Kirk Cousins, like, carrying a football team, Kyle Allen was trying to carry that football team in that game, in particular in the, in the fourth quarter of that game. They were throwing the ball basically every play. It's in the snow uh, in Green Bay. What a great day it was yesterday for football, yeah, right? Yeah, it was. It was that, that that was one of the great you know sort of football weekends. Except for my Cyclones lost. Uh, they tried to go for two against Oklahoma and, and didn't get it. Uh, that would have been nice. That would have really capped it off. But uh, that was a <laughs> phenomenal game, and I think Kyle Allen is going to be the long term solution in Carolina, and I, you saw him try to carry that football team completely on his back in terrible conditions. He was making accurate throws. He was scrambling around the pocket, trying to buy time. He was getting harassed, and he really, to me, sort of carried that football team on his back at the end of the game when uh, when the Carolina defense couldn't stop Green Bay from you know running for nine yards of carry, it seemed like. So uh, yeah, a phenomenal uh, game by him, and, and uh, uh, you know, as I said, I think he's going to be the long-term solution. So it's not all lost when you're backup quarterbacks in the game. Sometimes you, you end up finding these sort of diamonds in the rough that you never knew about unless the starters went down. So, you know, maybe they shouldn't protect these quarterbacks nearly as much as they are. Maybe we should hurt more quarterbacks so the backups can play. Is a very Sage Rosenfels take. I That's a biased take, I think, Sage. Well, you know, backups always make it interesting. You know, sometimes you end up having the, the Matt Moore, uh, you know, types of games, and they yeah. throw a couple touchdowns and and uh, surprise everybody, and and uh, and then sometimes they also throw three or four interceptions too. And yep, uh, but right. but they always they always make it interesting, and the stat sheet gets filled <laughs> up. Sometimes it's offensively, and many times it's defensively. But you know, either way, they do keep it interesting. Okay, uh, to wrap up here the hour, I want to play a little game uh, with you. I want you to tell me. Better, worse, or same. We're going to compare the Vikings to other teams in the NFC. So give us a little NFL music, Jonathan. All right. Last night they beat the Cowboys, so we can agree that they're better than the Cowboys. They already beat the Eagles. We can agree they're better than the Eagles. But from what you've seen of the Packers, including in that game yesterday, are the Vikings a better football team, not based on record, just a better football team than the Green Bay Packers? Better, worse, or same? uh, Worse. Okay, that's the worst because you can't because just give one word answers. Uh, <laughs> Rogers, I'm going to give a one word answer. <laughs> Rogers, that's the difference maker, and I think there's a fairly large separation between Aaron Rodgers 
and Kirk Cousins. Yes, and I think their defense is playing still really, really well. Deep in and, and by the way, the running back, I mean, he, I don't think he's not Dalvin Cook, but he is close. Yeah. I mean, he is doing some of the same things Dalvin's doing. He does stuff in the passing game, and he has that breakaway speed that you know not a lot of running backs have, and he's been pretty durable this year. So, I, And I, I like both the running backs, but uh, their starter has been really, really good. A very bizarre day for the New Orleans Saints yesterday to lose to the Atlanta Falcons, but are the Vikings better, worse, or same than the New Orleans Saints? Ooh, I'm going to say who at wherever the game is played. Hmm. But the, that game is played answer. in Minnesota. I like the Vikings. That game is played in New Orleans, though that game yesterday was in New Orleans. Uh, I like the Saints playing at home, and uh, now you're giving me nightmares. So, uh, yeah, the home team, that's my answer on that one. I didn't watch that game yesterday. Did you? What the hell happened? I don't know. I did not watch that game either. And, you know, for Drew Brees, how well he came back from the injury and played uh, the previous week and, and thrown for a ton of, ton of yards and touchdowns, that was the shocker of the day in the NFL. And we can just put it to bed. There's no quarterback controversy in New Orleans because of one bad loss. Like, these things happen. Uh, San Francisco or Minnesota, uh, are the Vikings better, worse, or the same than the 49ers? I like San Francisco in this one. Their defense is, I believe, it, are they the best in the NFL? And and they're just, you know, they're. I think they're only averaging about giving up about 160 yards a game passing or something like that. Some crazy stat uh, through the air. So I, I like the 49ers in this one. I think uh, you know Kyle Shanahan has that offense very similar sort of style uh, as the uh, as, as the Vikings offense, where they love that zone, they love the play action, they love the bootlegs. Uh, but overall, right now, I think that 49ers defense playing better than the Vikings defense. Seattle Seahawks, or are you going to cop out and say we'll find out in a couple weeks? Yeah, right. Uh, well, you know, let, let's record this press record over there, and we'll, you know, so I can uh, we'll, actually we'll talk it's all available on podcast. Oh, true. Uh, if you go to your podcast app, type in Purple Daily, and you can even read a review uh, or write a review and give it five stars. Yeah, you know, I I like I will say this. I like the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, you know, Russell Wilson has played MVP caliber football. You know, really, uh, you know, crazy. Uh, you know that they're they're in a really really good division this year. You know, that NFC West is a very tough division. I, I think one of the best in football with the Rams, the Seahawks, and the 49ers. Of course, the Cardinals are are not that good, but three four teams that. Three of the four teams that could be in the playoffs. I think the Seahawks are a better football team. Again, I said Rodgers before because of the Packers. I'm going to say Wilson uh, because of the Seahawks for, for the Seahawks. All right, any um, any dark horses here that you see? I I really don't. I mean, I think after what happened with Los Angeles, that they are not a legit contender. Carolina is a good football team, but losing yesterday puts them way back. Is there is there somebody dark horse that's better than the Vikings or just as good? No, I don't think so. I, the NFC seems to be pretty top-heavy this year, and the NFC East is about as bad as it gets. You know, the, the two teams are five and four. Then you know, the, the, the Giants are two and eight. The Redskins are one and eight. Uh, you know, I said that the, the, in the NFC West, the Cardinals only got three wins. Uh, the NFC North seems to me to really be a two-team race. So with the Packers and the Vikings, I don't see the Lions coming back. I really don't see the Bears coming back. I mean, they barely won yesterday, and Matthew Stafford did not even play. So I, and, I don't think the Bears. And Mitch made one good throw, and everyone was like, "Look, he can yeah, do it." Yeah, he's back. <laughs> and he took like four hitches on the corner route, which is like a you know uh, you shouldn't do that. So yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think the Bears are going to be there when it, when it comes down to it. Uh, you know, I, I look at the uh, the Panthers are a team that could be interesting. Now they've settled in with this quarterback and the way they probably you got to think they took some confidence even that loss yesterday playing at Green Bay with this young quarterback. Yeah. Okay, that was fun, and you actually uh, you actually. 
got on record with those, better or worse. I give you credit for that. Sometimes you're like, when, I don't know, we'll see. Well, when two teams are very, very similar, you know, and uh, and I, I look at like the Seahawks and 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 the Packers and the Vikings, they're all. I think they're they're really in that mix. I tend to just sort of go with the quarterback and the quarterbacks that have won a lot of big games in the past, and, and Rodgers and, and Russell Wilson, you know, to me, two of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL. Speaking of quarterbacks, before we wrap up, you tweeted about this. I wanted to play it and just get your quick reaction. Lamar Jackson is a guy who I am I, I'm pimping the home run right now, okay, because I, I've, I've fought for Lamar Jackson. I feel like during draft time, watched a ton of him. I read what Drew Brees had to say about him and was kind of all in on Lamar Jackson. And when he dropped, I thought it was a crime. And a a scene yesterday on the sideline with John Harbaugh was picked up by the NFL mics and really kind of encapsulates one of the major reasons Lamar Jackson's had success. So play that, Jonathan. Because of the video, it's it. I get it's weird when they write the little like words down at the bottom. You can hear it better. Is that stupid. Uh, no, anyway, it's just Lamar Jackson talking with John Harbaugh, telling him, "Hey, man, you know I." I don't care about anything but winning and that sort of thing. And John Harbaugh says that's what makes you special. And so it's a great little interaction. I tweeted it out. Your reaction on Twitter I thought was great, Sage. So maybe you can explain a little bit more about Lamar Jackson. Well, when Lamar Jackson came in the NFL. Uh, you know, I said some teams had him as, well, he's not going to be a real quarterback, you know, because he's not a great thrower. And... I looked at him as a guy who was just an unbelievable athlete. I thought he was a pretty decent thrower, but his ability to run the football and his ability to scramble and run around uh, is just so rare to see that at the higher levels of college football. So he gets drafted, and this team you know, has now changed their offense to sort of fit his style. And what I love about what John Harbaugh said is basically he said, you know, there's going to be a lot of kids for the next 20 years that are going to, are going to buy you know, these number eight jerseys, and you've inspired a whole different brand of football. And, you know, this sport has been around for a long time. And for the most part, in the NFL, uh, and, and some in, a lot in college too, uh, and then lesser in high school, but it's been about the thrower, the quarterback that's the thrower. Mm-hmm. And whether it's Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, uh, you know, back to the days of Roger Stahlback and, and whoever, it's always been about throwing. But you can win football games a lot of different ways, and not all quarterbacks are great throwers, but you got to be really good at something. And he is a good thrower and a great runner. Uh, and that just adds another element that we have not seen very often in the NFL. So as I, I, I would hope, as teams going forward, look at these college quarterbacks. We don't always just go for the, you know, th- this year it's like Justin Herbert, uh, who's at Oregon, mm-hmm. who's six foot five. He's two hundred thirty-five pounds. He is, you know, your classic NFL quarterback. And I was that way. I got, you know, probably in the league because I was six four, two twenty-five, and oh, it looks like an NFL quarterback. Huge hands, but ridiculous. With with the biggest hands in the two thousand one draft for quarterbacks, right? So, but can you can you can you got to look at a guy and say, is he a leader? Uh, is he a winner? 
Uh, can we win with his style? Does he do anything that's sort of extra special and Lamar Jackson does? We can win with that. And they, again, they found that, uh, is it, was it Greg Roman, the yep, offensive yep. coordinator, who was Colin Kaepernick's offensive coordinator? They found the sort of the perfect mix there, and they are a really, really tough team to beat. And you go back down to high school football, it's amazing how many times just, you know, teams have their best athlete playing quarterback, and he might only throw the ball six times a game, you know, but, but there's, you know, it adds another element to running the ball and with the zone read and, and all these things that teams are doing. Uh, you don't have to block everybody on defense. You can leave a guy, if not two guys, free, and it creates an advantage. I mean, you know, I live in Omaha. I live in a neighborhood. Eric Crouch won the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> yes. He lives right down the street from me. All right. And we talk about it all the time. And he wasn't a great thrower over the ball. He's not a great reader of coverages. So he can't really do NFL shows to talk about what the quarterback's doing. But the way Nebraska dominated back in the, in the nineties and won for, you know, 30 years under Tom Osborne with a different brand of football than what we're so used to now or have been so used to in the NFL. I think you have to look at quarterbacks. I think what Lamar Jackson is doing is he's going to make everybody, GMs, coaches, owners, and a lot of fans, uh, look at the position differently. Yeah. And it's not necessarily about being just a great thrower and all these stats that we talk about. It's about, you know, can he, does he do something special? Uh, to, to win games. And he's always been a winner. And, you know, Drew Brees is always a winner too, but he's only six foot. Russell Wilson always a winner too. He's only 5'10. Lamar Jackson's a winner. And I think also the way he sort of carries himself and the way that team just feeds off, uh, you know, his, his abilities and, and his talents. He may not be able to play for 17 years. You know, that's, that's the difference. But I promise you, Baltimore Ravens fans will be extremely happy if he d- plays like this for the next seven or eight years. That'll be well worth him being a first round draft pick. Now, it just justifies everything I did on Madden, where I'd get the fastest quarterback and run around and win a lot of games. Uh, so Sage, great stuff as always. We'll be back together on Wednesday and, uh, Broncos are a little harder to find journeyman quarterbacks, but we'll figure it out. Thanks for your time, Sage. Sounds good. And tonight's Monday night game should be fantastic. Oh, should be 49ers, Seahawks should be a, should be a great game. All right. We'll come back. Talk to Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus when we return. You'll listen to Purple Daily on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business? Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. All right, welcome back into Purple Daily, and something rare has happened. I don't know if I've ever had this happen before on the show, where a guest asks to come on the show because he enjoyed a game so much last night. But that is the case with Pro Football Focus's Eric Eager. So, Eric, you asked to come on the show today to break down Vikings-Cowboys. Where do you want to start? I did. I think it was just a fun, compelling game. If you're a Vikings fan, you love... uh, coming out of there with the win. If you are a fan of football, you love watching Dak Prescott play. Uh, and if you think you can coach in the NFL, Jason Garrett gave you a, a little bit of evidence that <laughs> you can. So it was, it had something for everybody and uh, ultimately, and 
you know, to you, it broke your, you know, the narrative that you hate so much that uh, one Kirk Cousins cannot win in primetime. I do hate that narrative because I looked back at all of his games last year in primetime, and it was just... Kirk against good teams. There were some really good performances. There were some really bad performances. There were a lot in the middle. I thought, Eric, that last night was a middle-of-the-road type of performance with an A-plus job from Kevin Stefanski and a F job from Jason Garrett. And then Kirk Cousins walks out there and gets the win. And, hey, look, he can win in primetime now. It's like, wait a minute. This has never been a thing. It never should have been a thing. He played for Washington. They often play like Green Bay in prime time in Aaron Rodgers prime and guess what Kirk Cousins would get outgunned especially with no defense in Washington I mean I am the person that says yeah win-loss records are a thing that's a starting point for how you analyze these guys because that's the job and and they control it more than anyone else but just a prime time record alone I don't think tells you that the guy can't play at night or something like that, or he can't play well on national TV. I don't think that's ever been the issue. I think that he usually didn't have good defenses, and he definitely um, played against a lot of great quarterbacks and didn't always have great play calling like this. I I thought last night Kevin Stefanski was, aside from maybe Dalvin Cook, the MVP of the game for the Vikings because he just came out with the perfect game plan for getting the ball in the hands of Dalvin Cook. Yeah, and once, you know, and we know that, you know, success in the run game, and the Vikings weren't terribly successful in the run game with Cook. I mean, he averaged less than four yards a carry, I believe. They were great with Madison, interestingly, but we know that success in the run game is at best weakly correlated with how well you do in, in play action, but the Vikings leveraged play action immensely last night. Kirk Cousins, 35% of his dropbacks used a play fake. He had 118 passer rating on those plays. Uh, it was, it was awesome. I mean, Last week, the Vikings, you know, got away from some of the stuff that they they like to do, and you know, and and here's another point as well. You know, we we often attribute a poor game plan to the offense simply not being efficient on early downs, and you know, Kirk missed. I think Kirk was five, you know, fifty percent on throws between zero and nine yards uh, the other day, and so that's not going to ever win you some games. Um, but today, you know, last night Kirk was extremely good, and um, you know, but not. He didn't do what he didn't do nearly as much as Dak Prescott. He just did what Stefanski and Kubiak wanted him to do, and he did it well. Right, and when you're picking up twenty and thirty yard gains on screen passes, I mean that's just well done. That's well designed on the first yep. drive, which means it was scripted. They had a perfect sort of misdirection screen that got the Cowboys going one way, and all the offensive linemen in front of Delvin Cook the other way with just plenty of room to run and that's entirely on just how you draw that up and how you scheme it and for the most part Eric I think Kevin Stefanski has done everything that Mike Zimmer could have dreamed of him doing when he hired Stefanski to be the offensive coordinator and a lot of it points now to me thinking that Stefanski will be the head coach somewhere else that there were probably uh, big time executives around the league watching that game and saying Man, this is what we need. We need someone who can out scheme Dallas's defense this well. Yeah, and I think, you know, the Dallas defense is a little bit overrated. I think they're still living off of that Thursday night game where they shut down New Orleans, but we saw yesterday that Atlanta shut down New Orleans. So maybe that's just sort of noise. But if you would have told us, I think, before the game that, okay, Adam Thielen's not going to play. Um, Brian O'Neill is going to have his worst game of the season, probably because he was hurt. Josh Klein's going to come out of the game, and Dakota Dozier's going to have to play. 
and Stephon Diggs is only going to get five targets and catch three of them. You would have there, the chances that they would score twenty one po- or twenty eight points and beat the Cowboys are pretty slim, right? I mean, the Vikings in the passing game are very much about the two stud receivers. But what you got yesterday, Dalvin Cook caught all seven of his targets, eighty six yards, one hundred and nine yards after contact, which means those passes are getting caught behind the line of scrimmage. And Dalvin Cook, because of blocking or his own really uh, you know awesome nature after the catch, is, is making plays there. Irv Smith got five targets for thirty four yards. Some of those plays on early downs helped them be efficient, helped them stay ahead of the chains. And then, of course, Kyle Rudolph doing some of the things that uh, he's always done, which is catch the ball in the red zone. Uh, and, and, you know, he's not going to wow you with any sort of athleticism or, or moves. But, you know, Steph- Kevin Stefanski really using, uh, you know, everything the Vikings have to offer because Dallas in the secondary is okay. And, you know, for the most part, only really had to take away digs last night. And, you know, B.C. Johnson and, and Treadwell caught all three of the targets that were thrown their way. But, you know, it's very much about giving the balls to backs and receivers, and that's and that's a, a huge credit to the offensive coordinator. Who I, I agree with you. I think if if you know if the job isn't open in Minnesota, it probably will. You know, Stefanski will probably leave town and get a head coaching job. It, it, you know, if the season continues the way that it's gone. Talking with Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus, breaking down the Vikings' win last night here on Purple Daily. Um, okay, so the uh, speaking with the, to the scheme for how the Vikings beat the Cowboys, I was impressed how much they used multiple tight ends, the fullback, to get Sean Lee in the game. Sean Lee looks like he can't play anymore. And how many teams in the NFL have three linebackers who can actually play? Very, very few. And, and so yeah. you add that with Delvin Cook's pure talent. You mentioned his amount of yards after contact. He just breaks tackles, and, and especially washed-up linebackers cannot bring him down as we've seen all year long these strategies have worked for the vikings pretty much since day one of getting irv smith even tyler conklin out there cj ham taking a ton of snaps why does this still work i mean this seems like something that teams would have done in 1991 yeah and you know to to the point about the dallas defense not being as good as people advertise sean lee was yesterday they were four for four for 29 yards and two touchdowns throwing sean lee but they were also, you know, 13 of 14 throwing at all the Cowboys linebackers. And, you know, late Van Der Esch himself gave up 54 yards after the catch. Jalen Smith gave up 31. Um, so it was, it was very smart of them to see, you know, reputation being, you know, Jalen Smith and Leighton Van Der Esch were top six linebackers last year in terms of PFF war. Like they were great and they have not played that way this year. And then you put Sean Lee, who's not good enough to start over both of those guys on the field. And you, you sort of saw results. So yeah, absolutely. It was you, you guys talked about on the podcast last night that it's sort of like when Chad Greenway was near the end of his career with Minnesota, a guy who had a good career, but you know, hit, unfortunately, has lost his fastball. I think that was really smart of Minnesota to do. Um, and, and you know, and they reaped the benefits of it again in a night where they could not get much going down the field. All right. So now let's um, since we've said everyone did good at football and stuff first. Now let's work our way over to the pass defense, which now qualifies, in my mind, Eric, is a bad pass defense. Waking up this morning, they rank 20th, the Vikings do, in expected points added, 18th in opposing quarterback rating against Mike Hughes, who I thought might have a better chance than Trey Waynes, uh, did not. (laughs) He was absolutely torched, but Xavier Rhodes was too, and this seems to be a weekly thing, whether it's Waynes or it's Hughes or it's... 
uh, Xavier Rhodes, Judd asked me last night on the podcast, is there a solution that I can think of? And, you know, generally I, I like to have ideas and bring them to the table and say maybe they'll do this, this, or this. But if Mike Zimmer can't figure it out, then I'm not sure that I can, Eric. What should the Vikings do about this really poor pass defense? <laughs> I don't know if there's much to do other than, you know, last night people are on Twitter kind of like trying to peacock about, you know, all the people that wanted Hughes to start over Rhodes. And I thought that missed the point. I mean, Rhodes was bad last night, too. He was five for five for 63 yards throwing into his coverage. Like, that's not great. Mackenzie Alexander, four for six for 80 throwing into his coverage, including a touchdown. Alexander did get his hands on two passes, but it was overshadowed by the fact that Dak went after Mike Hughes 17 times that last night and completed 11 of them for 154 and a touchdown. That's so, crazy. That's nuts. That, I don't know if I've that, ever seen someone targeted 17 times. Is that like a PFF yeah, record? No, I think one time the Giants, when they had Beckham, targeted Jalen Mills like 24 times. <laughs> in, in a in a win by the Eagles, by the way. So the, they had two things in common. Both of those guys were sieves and still uh, ended up on the winning end of it. Um, you know, it's tough because, like, you know, Holton Hill last night looked pretty good in the coverages he had. I think you probably have to mix and match based upon matchups at this point. Like, you know, in a perfect world, you have a shutdown corner in Rhodes who can guard the other team's best receiver independent of size and strengths and weaknesses of that player. And then you you sort of patchwork around the Trey Waynes of the world, the Terrence Newmans of the world back in the day. But I think now every single one of these Vikings defensive backs has to be basically matchup driven in how they play, which means if you're Xavier Rhodes, you're not getting 70 snaps tonight, right? You're, you may be getting 45 or 50, or you may be not playing against a team where you don't match up well against the opposing team's best receivers. Um, that, that to me has to be the approach and maybe Holton Hill gets a, a more of an opportunity. I know he played, you know, a handful of snaps and, and was targeted twice. And, broke up a pass, so that that was good for him. Maybe J. Ron Kirst gets an opportunity in the slot, uh, and then they and then they go ahead and um you know uh make Mackenzie Alexander play on the outside. Maybe they just kind of have those uh you know uh changes, you know, in in approach. But the other thing that we have to be careful of is Dallas's offense is great. Yeah. And oftentimes defense is sort of a combination of the offenses you face. And so I mean, Amari Cooper was making catches that would have made Chris Carter blush last right, night. And, yeah. and so, like, who's going to – like, it, it's not so much Hughes was bad in coverage. I think it was a, a product of they were playing great, uh, playing a great team with a quarterback on fire, and they were not getting interior pass rush, which I know we're going to talk about in a second. But uh, it's a couple things. They're, they're, their entire pass defense as a whole is bad, and then it makes the cornerbacks look bad. And I think that they probably just have to adjust by, by matching these guys up better. Uh, against opposing teams' offenses instead of just setting them and forgetting them. Well, let's talk about that interior rush because when Sheldon Richardson left, and I understand they had no cap room left to sign him, but Mike Zimmer made some comments about, well, we'll stop the run better this year. Like, well, congratulations, you stopped the run pretty well last night and allowed over 400 yards of total offense by kind of a lot, and Dak Prescott was able to step up every time there was outside pressure. It seemed that the entire strategy of Tyron Smith was to just run Everson Griffin by the quarterback and that worked all night long and Prescott was able to step up he was able to extend plays and I don't know that that happens if Tom Johnson or Sheldon Richardson is in his face and and that seems to be what quarterbacks have been able to do against the Vikings even though they're having all world seasons from Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin I mean how much is that going to impact them and then you know part two to that question is 
Can they really win if their pass defense is going to continue to be this poor? If they don't get interior pressure, which I don't know who it's coming from. They have, you know, Fadi Adenabo has done pretty well when he's been in. I think he should probably get a few more snaps. But aside from that, I mean, if they're 20th in expected points added and they're not getting interior pressure and they don't have the corners playing really well, I mean, can they really win or how good does the offense have to be for them to go anywhere in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, it leaves their offense with not that much of a margin for error. We saw last night, like, they played a very good game, and it still was almost not enough. I mean, they needed basically bad play calling by Dallas to win at the end. Um, but, yeah, to your point, I mean, we've talked about this a number of times. Quarterback play under pressure is not very stable. And it, the reason is is that pressure has contextual variables that make not every pressured snap created equally, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talked about this off air, but, like, if you get pressure, as you said, Tyron Smith, uh, gets, you know, beaten off the snap by Everson Griffin and he makes Dak Prescott step up. Well, that's a pressure. But then if there's no interior lineman that's gotten any push on that play, Dak's probably still going to have some success throwing the football. Um, whereas, you know, if you play another team that has, you know, maybe, you know, the Patriots, for example, their edge players are not, you know, impressive at all, but they sort of contain the quarterback and then eventually they get enough interior push to make that pressure worthwhile, and and that's why you're seeing such great pass defense out of them. And that was what we saw last night. I mean, Dak had Dak was pressured on 21 of 47 dropbacks. That's a pretty good percentage for Minnesota's defense. But as plays, he had a 104 pass rating, two three touchdown passes on nine yards per attempt when pressure. So, like, and and again, that's part of the coverage versus pass rush question. Is like, is it coverage on the back end? Is it just great receivers making plays on you? To me, I think part of it is that the Vikings thought. You know, the Vikings still subscribe to this idea that you have to be tough against the run. And I think it's coming at the expense of their pass rush right now. And, you know, they were great against the run last night. They gave up less than three yards of carry, but it didn't matter. Dak was still great over 100, you know, 115 on uh, pass rating on play action. Uh, and, you know, and he was great on third down. So, you know, I, I think it was just sort of a misstep and a miscalculation on the Vikings part, not thinking into your, you know, choosing Shamar Steffen over somebody who can maybe get a little bit of a pass rush inside. Yeah, and I think if they were to play a Fadi Adenabo in there more often and treat him like the Tom Johnson, that they might have um, some success because he's proven that he can beat guards and when he's outside could beat tackles as well and get after the quarterback. That might be something we should see more often. And Tom Johnson played 60% of the snaps in 2017. They were still good enough against the run, but really, really good against the pass that year. I think that's probably a better strategy, but they really love Shamar Stefan. So uh, I don't think it's going to really change, but maybe Adenabo will get more chances. All right, now let's look at the big picture here, Eric. It was a really good day for the Vikings yesterday. I know that the Packers won, but that actually helps the Vikings in some way, which is bumping down. The Carolina Panthers um, to five and four. So now Los Angeles, Carolina, Philadelphia, Dallas, they're all five and four. And the Vikings sitting at seven and three, looking pretty darn good for the playoffs. But not only that, they also now have as many wins as New Orleans, as many wins as Seattle. We'll see what happens tonight. And one win from the Packers with a chance to beat Green Bay at U.S. Bank Stadium. Should we shift the conversation after this win against Dallas from well, we'll see if they make the playoffs. They're still in the race to, okay, what's the playoff picture going to look like and what's the route for them to actually go to, to the NFC Championship or Super Bowl? Yeah, I mean, we have them, and we have to rerun after the whole weekend, but we have them, you know, basically, if they win, their playoff percentages are about 80%. 
Um, and, and that's, and that's a very comforting place to be. Now they sit basically a game and a half, two games behind Green Bay because of the tiebreaker and, and, uh, their, their issue here in terms of, um, being a game behind. But it's still a, a solid place for the Vikings to be. As you said, they probably, they, in all intents and purposes, if they win out, they win the, the NFC North. So that's a good thing. But the, probably the most likely scenario is that they play Dallas again in Dallas in the first round. And, mm. and, and, you know, if you're a Vikings fan, you're like, well, that's a pretty, that's a pretty nice outcome for them. Given, yeah. You know, what we, what we just saw. And, you know, they basically, you know, Dak's tremendous, but you probably got his best game last night and you see, how limited the Dallas Cowboys are with, you know, their, you know, inability to scheme and inability to make solid decisions on fourth down. C- credit to Zimmer, by the way, for going for that fourth down and the two point conversion to basically win them that game last night. Um, so I would say the most likely outcome is they go to Dallas or go to Philadelphia. But, you know, if you're a Vikings fan right now, you can be pretty confident they're going to make the playoffs and you can have a little bit of, um, you know, optimism that they'll win that division because, you know, Green Bay has been good. Uh, and they do have an easier schedule than the Vikings going down the stretch by virtue of the fact that they finished in fourth place last year, in the, or third place last year in the NFC North. Um, but they're not exactly a great team. They let Kyle Allen hang around yesterday. Um, you know, they, they got whopped by the Chargers somehow, right. yeah. you know, two weeks ago. So they're not a perfect team. So they could obviously slip up. And I think Minnesota, you know, if they were to, you know, continue this streak, um, you know, could very well take over the, the NFC North now that it's basically a two team race. Putting records aside, what teams are decidedly better than the Vikings? <laughs> well, it's hard to say. You know, when you talk about um, when you talk about the the uh, the NFC lot yesterday, you got a, a bunch of WTF games by some teams, right? <laughs> right? Like New yes. Orleans, fourteen point favorites at home. Not only don't cover the spread against Atlanta, but lose by two touchdowns. Um, so I would have said New Orleans. Uh, you know, um, as what were the best team in the NFC, uh, until yesterday. And now, you know, tonight's game with a good Monday night football game for a change. You have San Francisco and Seattle. I think Seattle's very much like Green Bay, where their record is probably a lot better than their actual fundamentals. If, if you think the Vikings defense is bad, Seattle's defense is worse. Um, but their quarterback's better, right? So, and that's always going to give you a chance. Uh, I think San Francisco, you really have to wonder, you know, they have the fourth toughest schedule moving forward. So, we're really going to see how good that team is, uh, you know, uh, down the stretch. So, you know, I, I don't think there's, t- there's a team like a, a standard deviation above Minnesota in the NFC and in the AFC, I, you know, if you think about even further down the line, um, you know, we saw how vulnerable New England was. You know, I think Minnesota's firmly in the conversation as a top five team in the NFL. They were sixth in our power rankings going into the week and probably only went up after last night. So, uh, you know, they're, they're probably fourth in the NFC right now and, but not that far away from first. One amazing thing about the NFL, and it will just never change, is how much one game can make a difference in swinging an entire season. And I think that game was that for the Vikings. If they lose, they're six and four. They've got Denver and then a bye week, and then they're just in the mix of a bunch of different teams fighting for a wild card. Now they're in the driver's seat to go forward and be in the playoffs and have a chance in the way that they are capable of playing with Kevin Stefanski at the helm and uh, Dalvin Cook and their, and their weapons. And when they get Thielen back, I mean, it makes them look like a very, very legitimate contender um, in the NFC. So it's it's fascinating because if they had lost that, we would have said this team is a complete fraud. <laughs> right? Well, and, and not only that, but they're one of their best players offensively probably doesn't need to play next week for them to win. Oh, for Denver sure. Yeah. And Brandon Allen. So you go into the bye week and then you get Thielen back after the bye. Um, for games that 
are, you know, probably more difficult. So, you know, as we looked at, at the season at first glance, right, this stretch of games looked really hard for Minnesota. And, and, you know, as disappointing as losing to Kansas City in Kansas City when Matt Moore was playing was, winning in Dallas was not something we expected. In fact, winning in Detroit was something that, you know, we had basically the Vikings at a pick them in that game and they won that game handled. So they've, you know, the, the Chicago game and the Green Bay game sucked. I mean, if you're a Vikings fan, they were not encouraging, but they were also underdogs in those games as well, right? So any way you sort of slice it, the Vikings have met or exceeded expectations through the season's first 10 games. Uh, and if they can continue to even meet expectations down the stretch, they should be in pretty good position. Uh, in the NFC playoffs. And, uh, it's really a testament to you, you know, all the things you said with us, uh, Stefanski, you know, really turning that offense around. And, you know, as, as much as Zimmer, as much as Zimmer can, you know, be kind of a curmudgeon in, in press conferences, he started to make some good decisions, uh, you know, fourth down against Washington, even though they didn't make it. And then yesterday, uh, you know, I, I don't think people would have faulted him for kicking a field goal down one. Um, but it was certainly the right move to go for the touchdown and it ended up being the difference. Yep. And I think the Vikings have, for quite some time, had an advantage in that area, and we don't talk about it a ton, but then you see what Jason Garrett did and go, oh, that's right, you're probably winning more games than you should because your coach understands when he should be going for it, and I think Zimmer mostly gets those right. Um, Eric, since you asked to come on, you have to thank me for my time. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matthew. Of course. (laughs) it's How much fun is it to chat chat about football? Like, this is, you know... There, there are some aspects to when the, you know, as you talked about with Jed numerous times, when the season's not going well, there's of course like fun things to chat about too. But when the games are fun and compelling, this is, this is, there's no, there's no more fun than this, right? Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I always say, look, I like talking football no matter what, but when you come off a game like that, that was so good and so compelling and so many things come out of it. And now we can talk about this team through the lens of an NFC championship or Super Bowl the rest of the way. That is exciting because week after week or big game after big game coming out of it and going, well, Kirk didn't show up again. I mean, it yeah. just becomes kind of a drag after a while. And uh, I think today, even though there are things that can be criticized, especially the defense and the secondary, to come out thinking, okay, now we know exactly where we should set the bar for this team, um, that is definitely exciting. So thanks for coming on. Uh, the PFF forecast, I listen to it all the time with Eric and George Shahuri. It's great. You guys were up until 1 o'clock in the morning recording it last night. And so make sure you go listen to that. Follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Eric. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Caller has questions. Blue 58! Blue 58! Go! And he wants your answers. Three! Red, red, red! Red falling! Blue poncho! In rapid fire fashion. Gun flex right stack. 394 dragon smoke. It's Hot Rods on Purple Daily. 5-8-8-3-9-7! Yes, this is Hot Rods. I didn't tease it. I didn't think we were going to do it today, but I felt like it was an emergency. Judd Zolgad is in here. Jonathan Harrison as well. Sorry, Jonathan, I didn't tell you any of the questions because I just came up with them. Because after all the conversations we've had with Eric Eager and Sage Rosenfels, I feel like there's things that we need to do in Hot Route style with Judd Zolgad. Okay. That's fair. That's fine. So Makes ramp sense. it up. More NFL music. You can never have enough of it on a Monday following a game. All right, Judd, how are you? Hi. I'm outstanding. What's going on? You ready for this? I am I am very prepared. I feel like 
everybody yesterday was just jacked up. Like Eric Eager demanding to come on the show. That's great. Sage literally almost took us into the next hour because he was so jacked up about Lamar Jackson. <laughs> it's great. Uh, he, I, here's what I want you to do, you and Jonathan. Rank, yep. rank the top five NFC teams right now. Go. Jonathan, you want to go first? Uh, give me one second. You go first. Okay. Jonathan doesn't even San, know the question. San Francisco, <laughs> undefeated. San Francisco undefeated going into tonight is number one. Okay. Uh, number two, the Green Bay Packers, closely followed by the Minnesota Vikings. I watched Red Zone all day Sunday, and I'm going to tell you I have good reason for dropping the New Orleans Saints down to four. Yikes. Show up for that game. What happened? Okay, if you lose a close game to the Falcons, it's the NFL. It's sort of weird. But that was along that was something along the lines of Vikings Colts at US Bank Stadium. Yeah. It was no awful. Show. At one point I thought to myself, I might put Teddy in. Drew Brees was sacked six times. The Atlanta Falcons went into that game with seven sacks. Saints dropped to number four, which is a very big drop for me. Yeah, they and, would have been number one, I think, for me before that game. And number five, I am going to stick with the team that's playing the San Francisco 49ers tonight, the Seattle Seahawks. So I'm going to go San Francisco, Green Bay, Minnesota. But that's pretty close right now after what happened last night in Dallas. Saints dropped to four, Seattle. Any disagreements, Jonathan? Uh, I would just flip the Se- or I'd flip the Seahawks and the Vikings or the Packers and the Saints, excuse me. I think the Packers second, Saints third, then the Vikings, then the Seahawks. Is it just that everybody has a stinker? I mean, there's a good story at ESPN.com in in the middle today about breaking down the bad losses from the good teams. The Vikings have one against Chicago. Just a complete no-show. Yep. Bad loss. Every team does. Green Bay went out to the Los Angeles Chargers. They lost, and then they play a great game against Carolina to pull it out last night, and I guess I don't want to overreact to just one bad game because it happens, even I do. though it was against a really bad team. I punish teams. I like to punish them. Bleep them. Show up for the game. <laughs> I think it was just a disappointing showing just because, like you said, they didn't show up at all. Yeah, they nine just didn't points. seem and by the way, like it, they care. The Falcons are awful. Yeah. One and seven. Yeah, they're well, terrible. They if you if you had played a good team and got crushed, I'd say, alright, it's a tough game. The Atlanta Falcons? Come on. All right, our next hot route. Should the Vikings have traded for Minka Fitzpatrick or Jalen Ramsey now that we have seen them not be able to stop the pass? Almost 400 yards given up. uh, And also struggling third down defense as well, as we saw. They are 20th in expected points added in terms of uh, passing, and they are 18th in quarterback rating against. Should they have sold the farm for either Minka Fitzpatrick or Jalen Ramsey? Did they make a mistake? Fitzpatrick would have cost them, if you look at the same deal that the Steelers made, and he's been great since going there, uh, Fitzpatrick cost the Pittsburgh Steelers a first-round pick. Yes. Should the Vikings have done that, given their current state? And by the way, given the fact that you knew that your defensive backfield and your corners in particular were a little bit dicey? Absolutely. A first round. Can you? How would we be talking about this team today if Fitzpatrick were on the roster? Your offense is playing pretty well. Last night you got a brilliantly coached game. Last night you stopped Zeke. Your defense did a damn good job there. But the vulnerable place has been there for weeks now, right? Fitzpatrick, first round pick, absolutely. What about the two for Ramsey? Still too much. Uh, that's a lot, but if you, I said at, at the time, and I'll stand by this, if you considered yourself to be a Super Bowl team, and that's debatable, but if you did, I think you got to consider it 
this is the window, man. This is it. The window opens, the window closes. If you considered that you had all of the pieces, when that deadline was approaching, nobody sat in this studio or at the Vikings facility in Egan and said, you know what, you guys, cornerback-wise, you're just fine. Everybody said, ooh, Rhodes is dropping off, and this looks like it might be dicey. But the Fitzpatrick trade, to me now, in retrospect, you should have been all in. What do you think, Jonathan? I think you absolutely should have traded for one of those guys. You, I'm always a fan of viewing your draft, draft picks when you're in the window to win the Super Bowl as as ways to accumulate guys who can play now and contribute to you now. I mean, the Patriots do it; have done it for years. Get players that can contribute to you now. You got you go ahead and use one of those first round picks to get a cornerback who can shut down an opposing defense. You think that the Cowboys throw for nearly 400 yards last night? If you have Jalen Ramsey no, or make no. a Fence Patrick, no. Definitely. And then go ahead and think about shutting down Ezekiel Elliott like they did. Man, I think you absolutely should have gone out and traded for one of those guys. Think, think about who you're going to have to face in the playoffs. I mean, you're probably going to have to face maybe Dak again, yep. or you're going to have to face Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or Drew Brees. It will not be easy in the playoffs, and if you give up 400 yards passing, you're probably not going to come out with a win again. And really, we're in some ways, <clears throat> thanks to Jason Garrett, lucky to come out with the win last night because it got very dicey there at the end Still because play. you could not stop the pass. So, you know... Sometimes we overvalue these first-round picks. The Vikings had a first-round pick at cornerback last night who gave up 11 on 17 targets for 140 yards or something against Amari Cooper. Mm -hmm. And how about when they trade a first-round pick for Sam Bradford? Did it destroy the future of the franchise? No, because we're here. It's 7-3, and and you have a really good chance to keep going forward. When you're one of the top competing teams and you have a roster that is built out this well, it's worth it to take that shot. The only reason I would have said at the time maybe hang on to it is because if Kirk melted down, right. you might need that first-round pick for a quarterback. But here's the issue. So many teams are going to need quarterbacks. Nobody's trading up with you. They're taking them. Joe Burrow and Tua. Well, the and Bengals are doing a marvelous job. No, they are. <laughs> I much love better. the Bengals. I said this before. Dolphins. Ryan Fitzpatrick will ruin your tank. And he did. All oh, right, most next, definitely. next hot route question. I would like you guys to name the better all-around running backs in the NFL than Delvin Cook. Go. The only one that I could come up with that I might make the case for would be Christian McCaffrey because he can also do so much. But I don't know about that. Delvin Cook right now. And look, the contract that, that we're going to have to talk about for him, I think, remains dicey. Because these guys break down quickly, and it goes quickly. But if you're asking that question today in regards to the 2019 season, which I think you are, Dalvin Cook is 1A or 1B because, man, is he special. And he can do so many things so well. He can. He's great running. He's great finding holes. He's great in the screen game, the passing game. So McCaffrey might be the guy to compete. But if it's if that's the case, as I said, it's definitely to me one A one B. It's not this definitive. Well, McCaffrey and then Cook. It's very close. I I I'd agree there with Judd Christian McCaffrey. Just the way he plays the game and is such a dual threat for them. I think he's as close to as you're going to get to Dalvin Cook. I think Ezekiel Elliott might be up there, but you saw last night how easy you can shut him down if you just concentrate on shutting him down. Christian McCaffrey is probably the answer because he could play outside receiver if you yeah. wanted. And and Delvin is somebody you could move out there for a play or two, but I don't think he's an outside receiver. I think McCaffrey can be. It's close. You can though. use him in almost any way you want to. 
Aside from that, Aaron Jones is making a case for himself as another guy who is unstoppable all-around player. And Mike McCarthy, congratulations on being incredibly stupid for not using that guy <laughs> way more He'll last get another year, chance to right? screw up. Wow. Don't worry. There's a lot of good running backs in the NFL. Thing. There really are. Uh, I mean, even Derrick Henry is a monster. I love that guy. He's hard to tackle. Um, but I don't think the answer is anyone is clear-cut better than him. And I just started thinking about this. Who does Delvin remind us of? And my guy Thurman Thomas came up in my mind with the yards from scrimmage. When Thurman led the NFL four times in yards from scrimmage. Mm -hmm. And Thurman, I guess he was a little bigger or thicker than I remember him being. He was five foot ten and two hundred, and he could break tackles the same way with Delvin early in his career, where it just seemed like you couldn't take him down. And Delvin is a little bit thicker than Thurman was, but it's also twenty five years later. Right. Um, so he's really reminding me of that, of just someone who you can do anything with, throw the ball to, that you can build your entire offense around. There are very few running backs you could do that with. A lot of times you need a rotation of backs. You gotta hope they're all working well to do all the things that Delvin Cook has done. And so I think the answer also, you know, the other guy I'd throw in there is Josh Jacobs from Oakland. Mm-hmm. Really, really good young player. But other than that, and I don't think he's better than it's Delvin, a short list. He's, he's in that ballpark. It's a very short yeah, list right now, it I is, think. For sure. All right. Uh, last one for you. Which backup quarterback in the NFL? This is the year of the backup. 16 backup quarterbacks have started games. Is that what it is? Uh, well, it's for 16 teams, and I think it's 17 backup quarterbacks because that guy they called Duck something has started for Pittsburgh the one game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Duck McGee. What the hell is his <laughs> name? Quacker McGee, we call him. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's His what friends do. Um, which backup quarterback in the NFL this year has the best chance of being a long-term starter for their franchise? Can I go with, just because I love the facial hair so much, Gardner? Minshew might now it might not be in Jacksonville, but I think he has a shot. Yeah, he he came in, in there, and here's the thing that impresses me: there's this short list of guys who aren't discussed, aren't talked about, but are really competent and good. Because mm-hmm. we always get fix fix aided on the what two or three guys that are you know he's going to be a first the first pick or he's going to be the second pick. But there's a short list of guys that you watch and you're like, I really didn't watch him in college. Yeah. So I don't know that he's going to uh, supplant Foles in Jacksonville, but I'm going to say at some point in time, Minshew is going to get a chance either in Jacksonville or somewhere and be pretty good. I'd go with the guy who's 5-2 and two right now with the Panthers, Kyle Allen. I mean, they're, gun- they're clearly not going to keep Cam Newton next year just because they're not going to pay him $20 million to maybe start, maybe not. Probably trade him for a first-round pick. I would think that yeah. someone would give that to him, wouldn't they? Or and a second-round pick? And if they've got Kyle Allen there. For why Cam? Would- if he's yeah. healthy? Yeah, you got to prove he's healthy. Yeah, I, I I might give you a third round pick. I don't think I'd give you a first round pick for him. No, I mean they've got yeah, Kyle Allen there, and he's five and two. He's got a good completion percentage. I mean he's shown that he can be that quarterback there for at least this season. Why wouldn't you take a shot? See if he can do it next couple seasons. I think I'm going to go. Tell me if I'm cheating here with Jacoby Brissett. Oh yeah, you're cheating. Okay, one yeah, thousand percent. That's a bunch. That's BS. He's already been given a new contract. He yeah. came into the year as a backup for Andrew no. Luck. Wait, wait, wait. Preseason. He didn't come into the regular season. No, because Andrew Luck retired give me a guy during who's just, the preseason. Give me a guy who's just emerged. I'll go Mason Rudolph then. Okay. Uh, Mason Rudolph has right now been throwing just dinky, dinky, dunky passes. And they <laughs> like a cracker. Are just, uh, yeah, and like Crack McGee, our guy in Pittsburgh. 
Yeah. What the hell is his real name? I don't know. Were, I was, He's never going to play again. So I was so watching. He, he started the game against Los Angeles, and I couldn't figure out what they were saying because they kept saying his name. And I was like, what? What is his first name? I'll is it Buck? It. And then you're saying <laughs> Duck. His, his name is uh, Devlin Hodges, yeah. but he apparently does duck calls. So, like, he was a duck call champion and loves hunting, and so they call him Duck Hodges. Are you Which serious? is a classic, like, journeyman backup name if they had a guy who played for 14 that sounds teams like a hockey whose thing. name was Duck Hodges. Uh, but oh. I don't think he's going to be the guy. I right. think uh, Mason Rudolph put up insane numbers at Oklahoma State, and when they drafted him, I remember Ben Roethlisberger being kind of ticked, which may have meant that he felt threatened because he's not... The greatest teammate of all time. <laughs> He's a and world champion duck caller. He's right. That's right. Yeah, so they call him Duck Google. Hodges. It's on Google right here. Yep, there, you, there you have it. Um, <laughs> but but the way he's performed under yeah. pretty tough circumstances yeah. of coming in to replace Ben Roethlisberger has been really impressive, and he's with a great franchise. And maybe if he plays well enough, Roethlisberger will come back for another year, get hurt again or something, and then Rudolph's their guy. Yeah, Big, big Ben could. Uh, you know what? I, I think he could pretty easily go away. I don't think soon. he will. I think, I think he's, he's going to try and he's stick around. Play, yeah. He's Favre, too. He always threatens. Oh, I might be done. Okay, mm-hmm. you're done. See you, bye. Oh, he's been doing that for a while. I know. Okay, you're going to retire. Bye. I would not want to be on his this team. This is great. Devlin this Hodges. Yeah. A duck-calling champion. Duck Magoo or whatever you call That's him. a good find by you. All right. Thank you, fellas. Uh, let's come back. Let's talk about um, what this win means. Because we've talked about every element of it. <laughs> Sounds like over it. the Cowboys in many different fashions. But what it means for the belief from Minnesota Vikings fans in Kirk Cousins and this team. Let's discuss when we return. Matthew Collard, Judd Zolgad. And by the way, real quick reminder, uh, your show, Mackie and Judd with Rami, is going to go the whole 4 o'clock hour with no commercials because of how crazy of a football whoa, weekend it whoa, was. Whoa, we are? Yeah. Did you not hear? So no bathroom breaks? Well, you better go before... Oh, my, this is very, oh, boy. This and is, uh, you guys hmm. will be taking calls, too, and it's going to be exciting. So you're going to do that. We'll be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Score North download time. Jonathan here with this hour's download. The Score North podcast network consists of more than a dozen shows from Purple Daily and Raised by Wolves to The Scoop with Doogie and Royce Unchained. You can find a full list of these Minnesota sports podcasts over at scorenorth.com, the free Score North mobile app, or just search Score North, S-K-O-R North. Anywhere you find podcasts, it's now after a big primetime win last night for the Vikings over the Cowboys. They're now sitting at 7-3. and three. Big last part of the schedule here for the Vikings as they fight for one of those playoff spots in the NFC. Kirk Cousins, when asked about the remainder of the season, said this. You know, we're certainly happy where we are. The the, the next games are going to tell the story. You know, so people remember how you finish. They kind of forget how you start. So we got to make sure that the finish is strong. I think our, our start has been fast enough to put us in a position. There's certainly games and plays you want back for sure. But uh, it's been fast enough to put us in a position now where, you know, we can we can do something and uh, we're going to have to go, you know, earn it in the second half here. That's been your Score North Download. Now back to the final segment of the day of Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. All right, Judd, before we wrap up here in Purple Daily, and you guys will be commercial-free for the entire yeah. hour coming wow. up here to talk nothing but Gophers and Vikings wins from that? the weekend. Uh, let us discuss what it means for the Vikings to have won last night. I think it means you are now in the cut above um, section of the league where it's you are among the five best NFL teams because mm-hmm. now you have beaten 
the decent or middling to bad teams by a lot, like the Raiders, who are not a great team, but you destroyed them. The Lions are not a great team, but you crushed them. Uh, Philadelphia, again, a mediocre team, and you ran them out of your building. When you played a good team in Dallas and their quarterback looked like Joe Montana last night, you still found a way to win that game. And your blemishes are not great. The loss in Green Bay is bad because of the way you lost it in Chicago is inexcusable. And even in Kansas City, it's a bad loss because it's Matt Moore. And if it had been Patrick Mahomes, you probably lose by a lot instead of a little. Mm-hmm. But still, you deserve to be in that conversation now. Does that mean that Vikings fans are now in on this team after what they saw last night? My advice would be right now, no. Last night, I'm impressed by. And it's the first of their seven victories that I can say I'm impressed by, okay? But what I said previously holds, which is I need this three-game span, which started last night and will end with a Monday night game, December 2nd, in Seattle. I need three wins there. And I need to see a lot. I need to see, last night's a good start. That's great. No apologies there. But you got to beat Denver, bye week, Seattle. Go beat Seattle there. And then to me, your upper echelon, you've impressed me a lot and proven something. My problem right now is I still, I would feel foolish to sit here and say, I have figured out the 2019 Vikings and I can tell you who they are right now after the Dallas win. I still don't know. I need to see this continue through Seattle and then I can tell you. I think the fear from everyone is... Probably twofold. Number one is you just never know when that look is going to show up with Kirk Cousins on the first drive of the game, and it it just has that feel that this isn't going to go very well, and it's hard to figure out when it's going to happen. I mean, we've tried to pin it down. Some people saying it's prime time. I don't think it is. I think it's usually great defenses, which Dallas does not have a great defense. They have an okay defense that you could clearly run the ball against. Yep. Uh, But... You know, the Chiefs don't have a good defense, and Ryan Tannehill shredded them. And yet he had that, Kirk, what's going on, look, and you never know where it's going to pop up. Do it in Seattle, and I'll be impressed. But it even, you know, last year popped up against Buffalo, and and that happens, and you lose a game. And, And that would be the fear. And then fear number two is Mike Zimmer today exuding confidence in his corners. Sorry, I can't get on board with you, Mike. If you can't pressure up the middle and your corners can't defend. He's got to know that, too. I think that's a he has to know that it, that makes it. things that makes the road harder. All right, it doesn't make it impossible. It makes it harder. Impress me. Two more games. I'll be impressed. Commercial free after this with Mackie and Judd with Rami. Woo-hoo. The whole hour. So get your thoughts in from a great Minnesota football weekend, and we will catch you tomorrow with Courtney Cronin, Alex Boone, and Bill Barnwell of ESPN joins the show. We'll talk to you then. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.